Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, we have a, uh, a pretty special guest today. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't know how much you know about Tom Izzo. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. No, I'm just glad we have somebody who actually knows basketball. Finally, you know, we've got you're a charlatan. You've been talking all this, all this weird, you know, whatever offense and sets and elevator screens. Tom's going to expose you for the fraud you are, Sean. Well, can I tell you something real quick, Carlos? We were in uh, I want I can't remember where we were, South Carolina, Indianapolis, somewhere, Big Ten tournament, somewhere. And I ask a question at the post game press conference. This is after a win. And Tom calls me out and says, listen to this guy. He still thinks he's an AAU coach. He says this in front of everybody. everybody else. And was he wrong? Uh, <laughs> hey, at least I'm honest. But I did appreciate because most of the writers have no clue. At, he really does. I watched him coach. I don't remember where we were at. Um, but I wish I could have critiqued your coaching, too. Like, you could that would have been a hell of a deal. Oh, that's funny. I remember uh, we were in Fort Wayne or Indy, one of those places. I remember, Tom, I was coming off the court one time after we won the my, my little team won the, uh, you know, the, the, the tournament. And and Fife was Dane Fife was sitting uh, sitting courtside. He looked at me. He said, you know, that trophy doesn't mean anything because we weren't in the gold or the platinum. We were in like the mid level. Like, <laughs> Oh, my God, I can't believe this. I'm like, I'm a better writer than you are a coach. How about that? Champions are championships, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, I know. Well, listen, Tom. Thanks for joining us. Um, we're I, we're here to talk a little bit about uh, the new documentary that's out on Apple TV that the Free Film Festival is gonna is gonna run Sunday night at the at the Detroit Institute of Arts called "They Call Me Magic." And I'm curious. Uh, I know you've seen uh, some of it, and I'm curious, kind of what your what your thoughts are on this documentary. Let's start there. Well, first of all, kudos to you guys running it. I. I I wish, and I really would have been there if I wasn't going to be out of town, because I've seen the first episode, I've seen some highlights from the others, but I've been on the road too. But I was invited a week before it opened with his family and his high school coach and all his relatives, and um, I got a chance to enjoy it. And the first one, as we all know, was on more East Lansing and Michigan State and him growing up. and. Uh, I just thought his narration and everything uh, was off the chart. He's, he's pretty real. In fact, he's very real. Um, I love the story. I was in college and I remember my college assistant would come down here recruiting and he started coming back, telling me about this 10th grader, 11th grader and how good he was. And, uh, and then of all the things that I got a chance to go to Salt Lake city my first year out of college and watch Michigan State play. Back then, you could get tickets. My college coach took me there. Um, and of all teams that were in it, it was Michigan State. I always tell Irvin about that. And uh, so I watched them then and uh, and I've admired them ever since. And I thought the the way they did the, this documentary was, uh, was phenomenal. As we know, there's another one on a different station that I think is horrendously poor 
if that's the right choice of words, but this one to me was, um, God, it was, you had chills, you had excitement, you had different emotions and knowing him as well as I do. And I've kind of been around him since his fourth year in the NBA was my first year here. And I got to be here. He still worked out here in East Lansing. I think he moved after his fifth year in the league out to LA, but he still played softball. And as he says, hung with the fellas and the documentary kind of talks about some of those things. Carlos. Yeah, it was, uh, it, you know, it really did a good job of, uh, of explaining kind of the, the background and how do you go through all the busing issue and the, the fighting and the, the way that, you know, the black uh, community was not accepted at his high school at Everett. And the principal puts it on him. Like, you're going to stop this. You're going to stop, you know, the black kids from fighting back by setting an example and coalescing the whole team. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm 15. I just got here, you know, but it really, it really kind of established. I mean, I grew up in LA, Tom, and I was a Lakers fan, like everybody else. I was like, more than a Lakers fan. I was a magic fan. You could not, not root for this guy. He was just, everything, everything that you'd ever wanted in a, in a star athlete, you know, right from the get-go, obviously. But it really, I didn't know this whole story about how, you know, from a young age, he was, he, it, they, someone put it on him, you know, like, you've got to be a leader. You've got to bring, you know, this whole community together, you know, when he, when he goes on, what he does with the Lakers, what he does with the Spartans, you know, it's like, it's actually not surprising now. You think it's like, how does he do this? But man, from a young age and being the the youngest kid and being called Junebug and all the siblings and scrapping with his brother on the, you know, when they're playing basketball, like, wow, this is really, they did a really good job of showing what forged him, you know, and that everybody always just talks about, you know, blue collar community, Lansing and all this stuff, but man, you really see it in his family. Um, how, how, I, I want to know what Tom, from Tom's perspective, what was your, do you remember your first meeting with, with magic? I'm sure you call him Irvin, but, but what was that like? What was, I mean, was he impressive? Was he, you know, intimidating? What, what was that like? You know, my first meeting with him, first of all, I have a guy, Doug Herner, that Sean knows very well here, that Irvin was supposed to go to his school, Sexton. Mm -hmm. And because of the busing and everything, he ended up going to Everett. And uh, I think Herner's still sad to this day. You know, he figured <laughs> a couple of state championships. But my first meeting with him, um, Irvin came in and we used to play Tuesday and Thursday nights, open gym, it was called. And uh, I get here in August and right before he was going back to the Lakers, um, they would have these games and where Irvin was, uh, it was like field of dreams, you know, build it and they will follow. Uh, he came and they followed. And there were nights when we had Isaiah and Trapuca and Lambeer, the whole Pistons team came down. We'd have three, 4,000 people watching a pickup game. And back then it was, if you lost, you had to sit out and, um, Irvin could pick me and three other guys and we didn't lose much because of two reasons. One, how good he was at making other people around him better. Uh, he coined the phrase that we use every day here, you know, great people play great, but elite people make other people great. And that's what he had a knack to do. I mean, they talk about different people that can influence people. Irvin to me was the greatest but what I really got to know him is the next morning after those games, he would call at 10 o'clock and we used to have these steel covers on the rims in Jenison. 
with a lock on them so kids couldn't dunk on them, you know, um, and uh, and hold on to the rim and break it. So I would have to unlock it for him, and he'd come out and work out at 9, 30, 10 o'clock in the morning. And every day he picked something different to work on. That's what I remember both. One day he'd be a post player. One day he'd be a shooting guard. One day he'd be the point guard. One day he would just rebound. One day he would put squares up on the wall and throw behind the back passes. Uh, and, you know, Judd used to always kid him, Irvin, you better be the shooting guard more because he was never a great shooter back then. But you know what he was? He was an incredible free throw shooter because he knew he was going to have his hands on the ball at the end of the game. And I would sit there like a kid in a candy store and just watch this workout. Hardly knew him. He was always good to me. He's such a people person, but he didn't know a kid from the UP, you know, and, uh, and I, all I was to him is the guy that unlocked the rims. But what I really did is I focused in on what he did. And to this day, I always say at that time, Irvin was in his fourth year in the M fifth. He was already the MVP of the finals. He'd already won a national championship. Why is he still in the gym twice a day? When I got guys that are nothings, nobodies, haven't proven themselves, haven't made themselves, and they don't want to spend that kind of time. That, more than anything, is what Irvin Johnson did for me. But I would, I would, I don't want to take up all your time, but where I would agree with you, I think, you know, we had the 60s with a lot of the racial problems. I think in his own quiet way, he probably helped Lansing in that way more than we ever give him credit for. He could get along with a 99-year-old white woman or a two-year-old black kid. Uh, I really believe um, he had no uh, prejudice in his – and to become that good, and his coach was white – and none of those things were factors. He was at the opening too when I was there. And uh, it just, you just had such an appreciation. If we could all be like, like Irvin, our world would be a better place. And, and I mean that. I got a lot of other stories later on for you. Uh, Prove that, but it was great. Tom, you were, you were talking about what he, in his own quiet way, did in Lansing. What, what about in this documentary, I think deals with some of this, especially with he and Bird, but I remember in 1984 when the Lakers and the Celtics played in the finals, I was in Champaign, Illinois that early that summer. And I remember going into a bar, Tom, to, to drink some Cokes, obviously ginger ale or whatever it was. But uh, you, you walked in and, and the bar was split between Celtics fans and Lakers fans. And it's funny because I try to tell my kids or other young people just how intense that was with magic and bird. And obviously part of it was race and the documentary deals with that a little bit, but just the way we identified the, the rivalry, the way they lifted up the NBA, Michael Jordan, I think says in the documentary, you know, people credit me for changing the game. No, th this guy and, and Larry bird did, they were the ones who, they were the trailblazers. But, but what's your perspective and remembering of that kind of era and just how big those two were, what they did. Well, Irvin talks about, you know, the white guy, the black guy, and, you know, the way that kind of polarized everybody. But I don't think it did in Urban's mind. Uh, you know, I, I think it was the rivalry. You know, you had two guys that I, I, I've been lucky to be around some guys, you know, and Mateen and, and Draymond now, where winning is the most important thing. 
and they all talk about winning being the most important thing. Irvin walked that talk. I mean, if he scored two points or 22 and they won, he was legitimately happy. You know, we have the scene where he jumps up on, on Jabbar, uh, <laughs> the winning hook shot. And he said, stay away, rookie. You know, uh, we got 81 more games uh, left. And Irvin says, yeah. And if you make that shot, I'm going to jump up and celebrate 81 more times. And, you know, uh, they talk about him in the front of the plane and how he eased everybody when Jabbar got hurt that year. Mm-hmm. Urban was a leader coming out of the womb. I hate to say that because I believe that. And his parents to this day are unbelievable people. I mean, his dad has been at every game since I've been the coach. And he's there early and he stays there late. His mom comes to a lot of the events we have here you know, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. You know, he even had a sister that went to northern Michigan or worked up there where I'm from. So um, Irvin is just one of those guys. We play North Carolina, and sometimes Michael will come to the game. But if we're in the NCAA tournament, as Sean knows, Irvin's always at the game. And I remember being in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and he was sitting in his seats right behind my wife. And there were people lined up to get his autograph from North Carolina and from, from <laughs> state. and he did it until the game started. Then he did it at halftime. Then he did it after the game. And he taught me that treating people is very important. What you give is what you get. And that's why I think he's one of the more beloved athletes, uh, maybe of all time. You know, I, I put him, I mean, I love, Larry, I love LeBron. I, I really like Michael, but I put him and Muhammad Ali almost in a different zone for me. For oh, Tom wow. And I had a chance to meet both. I had a chance to sit down with both. And I had a chance when we had a reunion game to be with Michael. I mean, with Larry and Irvin. Uh, Larry coached one team up here and Irvin coached the other. And we sat in my staff room right next door for an hour and they told stories and those two are really close because I think they realized they saved the NBA. And I think Michael Jordan was right. You know, the thing, the thing that I, um, in the documentary that they touch on is his mom talks about how she never liked the nickname magic, you know, obviously Fred Stabley gave it to him the, in the Lansing paper, but, but she never liked it. Magic embraced it. But one of the things she re- the reason she said she didn't like it is because it puts a lot of, put a lot of pressure, a lot of expectations on him. And I think, you know, Tom, you've seen this, obviously, with so many guys come through and being around the game at every level, knowing all these personalities and stars, you know, expectations are not easy to live up to. And especially when they start at a young age, you know, and to go through all that through high school, through college, you know, through the NBA. And I mean, saving he and Bird basically saving the NBA, you know, it's close to bankruptcy at that time. Um, they're, they're tape delaying the games. You can't even watch them live. You know, um, how rare is that? I mean, we, I, that's something I think it would just think, Oh, well magic. Yeah. He was a star. He was great. And of course he was going to be a star, but to deal with all that. And also the document touches on that too. He was isolated in LA for a while. He'd just sit in his little apartment, you know, until Jerry Buss kind of took him under, under his wing. He, he was just a Lansing kid in a big city. It was, a, it was daunting. And he was what, 20 at the time, 19 or 20 when he moved out there. Um, but just how is how uh, how hard is that for us, even a star athlete, to deal with those kind of expectations? Well, as you know, his mother didn't want him leaving. 
right? And think about he's 20. He goes out there and for five years, he still comes back to Lansing, Michigan. You're in LA. You come back to Lansing <laughs> so that you can play on the softball team that he funds. You know, he's playing softball. I mean, that would be unheard of nowadays. You know, first of all, they wouldn't probably come back as much. And second of all, I mean, he's just hanging with the fellas. And I, I think the reason Irvin survived all that pressure, he's one of the rare athletes that his demands on himself were bigger than the pressure other people put on him. I mean, this guy, I mean, we've got a statue out here of him that's could be triple the size, but it's, it says on the base, you know, he won a championship in high school, college, NBA, and Olympics. You know, he's, he's done it at every level. You know, he did it in eighth grade, ninth grade. We just didn't put those on there. And I think that the pressure everybody put on that a mother or father would worry about his incredible uh, will to win. He always talked to us about Kobe had an incredible will to win and work out. I watched Urban for two summers here every day working out. I mean, he'd leave in August, maybe 2.30. I swear he'd come back in end of June because the finals would get done. He was emaciated. He was like um, skin and bones because they didn't have all the things you have now. And the, he'd lose 20 pounds in that. And then take a couple weeks off and then right back at it. You know, that's what I appreciate learned. And I think that pressure was bigger from within than it was from without. So I don't think it did bother him as much. I really don't. I mean, I, as I watch the rest of it, I might learn different as I ask him that question. Next time I talk to him, I may learn different, but to him, pressure is, is what he believes that he wants to accomplish, not what other people want him to accomplish. Tom, speaking of, <clears throat> excuse me, speaking of pressure and, and expectation, and I know uh, we're going to have to let you go here soon, but I just wanted to touch on your your, your team real quick. Uh, Graham Couch, who's a, a colleague of ours at the, at the Lansing State Journal, wrote a, a really interesting column the other day about Joey Hauser and his return and his decision. And, and I don't know if you saw the quotes. I assume you've had this kind of conversation with him, though. He talked about, sort of understanding himself a little bit more and feeling free and liberated and looking forward to being more of a leader next year and just, un, you know, not worried about the expectation as much and just playing to who he is. And we saw that display at the end of the year, but that kind of, that, that must be gratifying in some way to when you see a guy start to figure that out and, and relax and, and be comfortable in his skin a little bit more. Yeah. And I, I think that that is almost, and Michael said it, Michael Jordan said it, I have not asked Magic yet, but, um, you know, I'm not a Twitter nut, as we all know. Um, what's the name that bought it? If I had enough money, I'd buy it in deep six. You know? <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a Twitter nut. And I say that even though it has some great qualities, but I never worry about what my guys tweet, as you know, Sean. I always worry about what they read. And even though it's only 10 or 15% of the people that are bashing you, uh, the way they do it affects everybody differently. And Michael came out and said, I figure I was pretty mentally tough, but I think if I was a, 
playing in the social media days, it would have definitely had an impact on me. I think when you look at these kids the last couple of years, these players, the social media craze is at an all-time high. We know that. The pandemic uh, affected everybody a little differently. Joey Hauser, when he was redshirted, you know, the year before the pandemic, I mean, kid is a really, really good player and can shoot it, can pass it, can handle it, got size. And he had a great first half of his first year eligible here. Then the pandemic hit and, you know, like everybody, everybody handles it differently. I think he struggled with it for a while. I think he struggled with um, the expectations. Um, I think he struggled with the social media. I, I told you how Irvin, I don't think struggled with expectations because his were bigger, but he also wasn't there in the social media era when you have a bad game and everybody's telling you, you suck, you know? Um, I mean, there's a reason I'm not on it because I'm not sure I could handle it. And I think I'm pretty mentally and physically tough. So if I can't handle it, why should I expect an 18 to 22 year old to handle it? And I think Joey went through that stage. I do think, uh, you know, we've spent a lot of time together. Um, I think he really likes, he's gotten to really appreciate his teammates, like him and Malik have gotten closer and closer. We have a kid, Keon Coleman, on our football team. All of a sudden, he, him and Marcus Bingham, his second half of the year, it was like liberated for whatever reason. And, uh, and I expect him to have a big year. And, and I think he learned how to deal with handling the expectation and you can't please other people. You got to please yourself. Magic is the ultimate at it. So maybe I better get Urban in here to talk to my team a little more. Well, listen, Tom, uh, we really appreciate you taking some time and, and uh, sitting in here with us and talking about this documentary and Carlos and I both seen part of it. You've seen part of it. It's uh, it's pretty riveting in its own way. And it's, it's kind of great to go back as you mentioned and, and just remember how, influential he was and, and and still is in a lot of ways but uh it's hard to believe it's been that long but um but here we are you can catch it on apple tv but more importantly carlos you can catch it sunday night at the detroit institute of arts at the at the film theater as part of the free film festival you can buy tickets at the door i think or go, have, to, go to freefestival.com pardon me are they gonna have all four episodes uh is, I, no they're just gonna have uh one sunday night right carlos the first one i believe it's just the first one yeah well yeah you know, what you said, I'd like to piggyback on that. Um, you know, Irvin is more successful in business now than he was in sports. He's making more money in business, I think, than he is in sports. He's been very gracious things he's done here, but everywhere. He's been influential with the young minority kids. He's been instrumental in hiring more minorities. And yet he's he can walk into a boardroom in the UP and he can walk into a boardroom in downtown Detroit. There aren't many people that have the ability to impact so many different people. And, uh, you know, it's easy to idolize a guy. I mean, I do. I mean, I actually, when he comes and he comes here often, when, in fact, we missed him too, because during COVID he wasn't able to come, but when he does, I could sit down and listen to me. He called me before the Duke game. And, and you know, like I wanted to say, come on, coach my damn team. You know how you love everything, <laughs> you know. Um, but also, you know, he'd be the one to tell you he struggled as a coach because I think he's a perfectionist and he has trouble dealing with people who don't make it as important. 
You know, I always call it the three L's. Do you like what you do, love what you do, or live what you do? Irvin lives what he does. And now he did that when he was in junior high. He did that when he was in high school, college, pro. Now he's taking that to his business. And his businesses are growing because he wants to be the best in that too. It's in his DNA. And as long as he's alive, he's going to impact people. And I think he's, he's out there too. You know, he's not real controversial, but he's, he speaks the truth. And uh, I don't like Irvin Johnson. I love Irvin Johnson because of what he's done for, I think if he could be, even more involved in the racial inequities they are, we could grow faster in that. I think if he could be involved with problems in college sports, we'd be better in that. Uh, everything he does, it's not self-centered. It's for the betterment of others. That's the best compliment I can give. Well, what we need is we need we need uh, magic to buy Twitter, really, and that's what he needs to solve. But, Tom, Tom, I want you to come on. I'm formally inviting you to come on another time when you have chance, when you grace us with your presence. And explain to us exactly what kind of AAU coach Sean Windsor is, because he he has described himself as kind of a combination between, you know, uh, Dr. James Naismith. And, I have uh, never John said Wooden any of that. <laughs> and Phil Jackson somewhere, somewhere around there. So you need to set the, set, set the record straight, Tom, for us next time you, you come. Gotta be a little more Pat Riley, a little more disciplined, you know, a little more. <laughs> You listen to Urban talk about Pat Riley. That's a treat, too. So I'm hoping some of those episodes uh, get into that. But Sean, Sean is actually, I, I got to give him credit for a writer. He is um, he's pretty knowledgeable on actually other things besides just whether the ball goes in the basket or not. He he really can't. He can't play, but I know he can. He can coach. OK, he. He has a little feel for that. I, I respect that and, uh, and appreciate it, Sean. And it was great talking to all you guys. I'm, I, I appreciate you having me on, seriously, especially on a topic that is so good. And I would tell all the people to get out. It, whatever the tickets are, it's worth the money. I promise you it's worth the money. Well, thanks again, Tom. And uh, yeah, you're welcome back anytime. And, you know, Carl's sport, by the way, is baseball. So I don't know if you – I can't remember if you love – you like baseball okay. You're more I do. Of a football guy. I went down to yeah. the Tiger game the other day. I, I like baseball in person or playing. I'm not as big on TV, you know. I but I like in person. You know, I saw Miggy get his 97th and eighth uh, hit that night, and uh, didn't see the 3,000th, but I saw I saw a little bit and got a chance to meet the coach and general manager. That was great. And I was pulling for the Lions, the Tigers, the Pistons, the Red Wings. Um, our teams in Michigan got to do well because helps our economy, helps you sports guys uh, write stories. Um, uh, I think even Sean would rather write positive than negative, even though most of his compadres would rather write the negative story over the positive. But uh, <laughs> well, this is we're supposed to have fun on this thing, right? We, we, we don't <laughs> have to be uh, politically correct here, do we? We can say what we want. Is that you, the way? No, absolutely. No, you, you can you can uh, say absolutely what. You, no, Tom, you're right. Of course, we all want to write about winning. It's a lot more fun, and and there are more readers. Uh, you used right. a bad word. You said we all. You're full of it. I think there's some that would rather write about losing because it's, it's, what do they say? It gets more clicks, you know, it ain't getting my click. Cause I ain't clicking onto that thing. How's that? Even Car <laughs> even Carlos has a reputation as kind of a, a, a you know, what, what's a nice way to say this, Carlos? Fair-minded. Oh, you're fair-minded. How about negative? 
even Carlos would admit that winning, you get you get more readers and listeners with winning. You just do because more people are interested in the team. Hate reading and listening only goes so far and the bottom falls out. You know what's funny about that? If you talk to most regular people, I'm, I'm putting you writers, not above us, but below us, but most regular <laughs> people, they would say that the negative news, so you better get that out there, that the positive news brings more readers than the negative news. It I, does I in sports. In sports. Oh, in sports. Yeah, well, not news. In news, it's different, right, Carlos? News and politics aren't my cup of tea. Yeah. I ain't going there, okay? I'm sticking <laughs> with sports. I know less about sports, but I know a lot less about news and politics. So, hey, guys, have a great day. Uh, I'm on the road a couple more days recruiting. Then I'm done, and I'm going to enjoy some time uh, and wish I could get down there Sunday, though. So, we'll, we'll, we'll talk again after I see all four. How's that? That sounds, that sounds Fantastic. great. Fantastic. Thanks again, Tom, and, Thanks, uh, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, All we'll right, be right we'll be Thanks, right back with more. Okay, we'll be right back with more uh, free press sports with Carlos and Sean. Hello, I'm Phil Friend, the host and producer of Spartan Speak, a podcast collaboration between the Detroit Free Press and Lansing State Journal, focusing on Michigan State sports. Each week, I'm joined by the OGs of the MSU podcasting game free beat writer Chris Slaurie and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch as we discuss and dissect the latest sports news coming out of East Lansing. Not only is Spartan Speak one of, if not the longest-running MSU sports podcast out there, you won't find a show with two people as clued into the Spartans as Chris and Graham, each of whom has spent a decade-plus covering MSU and bring years of institutional knowledge and insight to the podcast. And once in a while, they'll let me throw out a take as well. Along with discussing the latest news, we'll break down the Spartans' last game in the hardwood and the gridiron. What went right? What went wrong? Jet sweep. Again? For both Mel Tucker and Tom Izzo, get you ready for the next game, make predictions, and so much more. We can also guarantee at least one reference to Kalamazoo every podcast. So if you haven't already, download, subscribe, and listen to Spartans Speak on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on your podcast app of choice. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, uh, I don't know what we did to deserve two guests today. All I know is that we we saved the special guest for last, right? Matt Verderam, uh, Verderam, Verderam. I'm mispronouncing that already. I mean, look, we had Tom Izzo first, but who's Tom Izzo? We want to talk some football with. <laughs> <laughs> we want to talk some football with the senior editor and a national NFL reporter for Fan Sided. We're going to talk a little bit of draft here and uh, welcome in, Matt. Thanks for joining us on the on the show here. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, guys. So, Carlos, wh- wh- where do you want to start? Do you, you want to ask him if, if the Lions should draft a cornerback, a cornerback, not a quarterback? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Well, for, first, first, thanks for joining us, Matt. And, and Sean, you know, I'm Jeanette Delgado, the, the I don't know what her, you know, queen of the world. I don't know what her title is now. But, but you know, she's just tired of us not knowing what we're talking about. So we got to get guys like Matt and Izzo on there to set us straight. You know, you think you know basketball. I know. I think I know football. So Matt's going to tell us. But Matt, I want to ask you this. Sean wrote a very uh, interesting, <coughs> disingenuous column the other day, uh, trolling Lions fans, suggesting, I don't know, he went into, I think he Googled like football stats or something and found, found his way onto pro football focus. And he wants them to, he's suggesting, he's not saying, because Sean would never say anything declarative, but he's suggesting wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to draft a cornerback number two overall. And I don't know how deep you go into your draft analysis and 
understanding the zeitgeist. That's one of Sean's favorite words about the Lions fandom and how much they're, he did admit they have PTSD over Jeff Okuda, um, who's not looking like he's going to have much of a career. He's been, been a disappointment, uh, mostly for injury. But how, how even just on this planet do you think it's possible that the Lions would draft cornerback number two overall? I don't think it's likely because Jacksonville it is starting to appear is going to draft Trayvon Walker, which I think if you're the Lions is awesome. Like I, I if, if I'm the Lions, it's nothing against Trayvon Walker. Trayvon Walker may have a very good career. He was certainly on a stacked Georgia defense where the stats are going to get split up because everybody's going to eat on that team. But Aiden Hutchinson, a Michigan man, going to Detroit. Now, I spent two days embedded with Aiden Hutchinson out in Thousand Oaks when he was training. Okay, I spent a weekend during the Super Bowl behind the scenes with him and Iki Aquanu and Boye Mafe. Got to know them well. Um, wrote an extended piece uh, about it. And I think I think Hutchinson would be a great pick for Detroit. I really do. And I know, you know, from speaking to his father, Chris, they, they, they said, hey, look, you know, however it shakes, it shakes. But you know, Chris Hutchins was also a great player at Michigan. And he was like, for us personally, of course, it'd be great if he played in Detroit because we could just go down the road and go see him. Um, I think if Hutchinson's there, I don't know how you pass him through Detroit. I, I don't know how you do it. And I think Kayvon Thibodeau is great. I think he's been unfairly maligned uh, with some of the stuff that's been out there about, you know, work ethic. I don't, I don't believe that. But I think Hutchinson is the slightly better prospect. And because of all that other stuff, if you're the Lions and he's sitting there, I, I just don't know how you don't go that route and take him at two. Matt, if we, if we can just be serious for a second. No, you are serious. Carlos is never serious. But in the column that I wrote, that my, the top of the column was, hey, Jacksonville may not take Hutchinson, and if he's there, that's what the Lions should take. Right. If Hutchinson's not there, and my point was this, and I'm curious what you think about this. If if you're a, a GM in a scouting department, and, and obviously Dan Campbell's part of this process too, and head coach, and you're grading out guys, you think, all right, this guy, relative to forget relativity, is the most gifted prospect here. And it's not an offensive lineman. And we just took him, you know, and whatever. Should, and he's a cornerback. Should we take him? And it, that was the only point I was making. If if Ahmad Gardner is the guy, is that good? And you like the way he defended Williamson in the in the college football playoff from Alabama and all that sort of thing. And you are thinking ahead about the evolution of the game as receivers become more and more important. Does that make cornerbacks more and more important, right? I mean, I, I don't know, but uh, that was the point I was trying to make, that don't be afraid to take that position if that's who you think is the best player if Hutchinson's not there. No, it's fair. Look, I, I wonder internally with the Lions, I mean, have they have they given up on Akuda? Because I, I do agree, uh, you know, with Carlos, look, he's been a disappointment to this point, but a lot of it's because he's been hurt. And it, does, it, does that just become something where the Lions say, look, we're, we're done here. We can't. Continue to go down that road. I mean, obviously, you're not going to move on from this year, but it, do they feel like maybe they have to fortify that position? I thought before he got hurt last year, I thought Jerry Jacobs was really good. Like, I, I thought Jacobs was a real fine for them before he got injured. That doesn't mean, look, if you love Sauce Gardner, you love Derek Stingley, who, by the way, apparently is, is like a top three pick here, maybe to Houston. Um, I, I don't know that that would preclude you from taking one of those guys. I just think in this league, you've got to be able to throw the ball, and you've got to be able to stop teams from throwing it against you. And yeah, look, the, the old school coaches, certainly Dan Campbell among them, like, you got to stop the run. That's true. But if I'm if I'm looking from the Lions' perspective, I think if Hutchinson's not there, I mentioned the earlier. I love Kayvon Thibodeau. 
I think he's still really, really good. The other guy on the other side of the ball, to stick to what I just talked about, I know the Lions have Jared Goff and they, they still control. I think Malik Willis has a ton of talent. Now, I also think he should sit for a year. When he comes out, if you look at his tape, he's really raw, but the ceiling is astronomical. Like that kid comes in, he's athletic as can be. He's got a big arm. I, I talked to him at the senior ball, talked to him at the combine, just love him as a person. I think, I think he'd be great in Detroit, but do you take a quarterback at two in this draft where people feel like this class is not strong at quarterback? I, I think that the, the benefit for the Lions, because the roster is somewhat barren, you could go a ton of different directions and justify it. It really, I think, is a question of who's highest on your board. And if that's a corner, I, I don't have a big problem with that. But I think I think edge makes the most sense unless you want to go, hey, we love Willis. We're going to take a shot at him. Uh, I think he's to me, he's the only quarterback in this draft I think is worth a first round pick, let alone, you know, top five pick, top ten pick. But he's he's got all the tools. He's just raw. He just needs time. Well, you know, you know that if the Lions don't pick Willis, he's gonna be a pro bowler and an all pro the next Patrick Mahomes, whatever. But uh okay, okay, so so the question is, you know, Willis and Pickett. What's the difference? What's the difference to you between those two guys? The sun and the moon to me. Oh. I, I I because I was at the senior bowl. And I remember why, and I'll be the first. To Wait, are you, are you not anywhere? You're at the senior bowl. You're at the a thousand Oaks or where are you, man? <laughs> I was at the senior bowl, super bowl combine. By the and, jet? What's going it, on? No, it's called O'Hare. Come on, Carl. Holy oh, moly. Yes, I basically live in, anyway. uh, in, in terminal uh, three at O'Hare. Um, Ugh, O'Hare I, sucks. Oh uh, well, yeah. Yeah. Well, try <laughs> sorry, how, sorry. yeah. Try LaGuardia. <laughs> Okay, I grew up in New York. New York, it's like a living room with a plane. Um, <laughs> I but, spent I spent three hours on the tarmac at LaGuardia one time because of a yeah, rainstorm. That'll, that'll make you question every life decision you've ever made up to that point. Okay, um, th- I mean the Delta Terminal there literally is from like 1939. But that look, all that aside, um, I remember just watching. The, I mean, there were obviously more than just Pickett and 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 uh, and Malik Willis there. There was Carson Strong, and and there. Were, Desmond Ritter is a litany of other quarterbacks there. Um, when Willis threw the ball, it was different than anybody else throwing the football. Like, it was noticeably different. If you didn't, if, if you couldn't see the guy, they had a screen up, and you just saw the ball come out, you could immediately tell it was Malik Willis. Like, okay, that ball's got zip. It's got, it's got some fire behind it. And the athleticism's just not even close. Kenny Pickett might end up being a decent player, but I think his ceiling is like Andy Dalton. To me, you're not taking Andy Dalton in the first round if you know he's going to be Andy Dalton. Now, he's fine, but he's not going to win a Super Bowl for you. If you're going to draft a quarterback in the first round, that guy better be able to win a Super Bowl. If you can't do that, then what's the point? Um, now, I can see Pittsburgh taking Pickett because he's from Pittsburgh. They need a quarterback. Um, you know, I, I get it a little bit. But if Willis also, in a league where you have to be more mobile now than ever before, and we've seen with guys like Mahomes. Mahomes doesn't run for a ton of yards. He's mobile. They, he can move. Allen is is a freak of nature as big as he is. Obviously, Lamar Jackson is without without peer athletically. Burrow is really the only young quarterback who's great, who's not an athletic guy. I mean, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, right? The list goes on. Deshaun Watson can move. Willis gives you all that. And the Lions play in a dome. I feel that, you know, even more so to the point, artificial surface, it, it enhances his speed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think he's by far the most talented. He might not be the most polished, but I think he's the most talented. This is the most upside. I, 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 want, I want Malik now, Sean. Come on. How do we not – how do the Lions not take – I mean, Matt's just set it up on a plate here. 
Yeah, because you because you, you you're right. If the Lions don't take him, he's going to end up in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's kind of uh, that's that's the way Lions fans think, Matt. I mean, right? <laughs> but I'm sure. I mean, it's not the. I mean, you know, it's not the only fan base that thinks that way. So um, you get down to the, the the Lions. Obviously, have another first round pick at the end of the first round, and then a, a pick a couple of picks after that at the beginning of the second. What would you? Uh, I mean, you referenced the Baron sort of roster earlier, but what would you kind of lean towards? What are some some names out there that uh, maybe Lions fans could could look for in those couple of spots? I think once you get to that point, end of the first, beginning of the second, it really does matter. Like, how does the board fall? I mean, you're always going to have a couple players that fall further than every mock draft thinks they're going to fall for whatever the reason. Maybe it's a medical concern. Maybe it's just the way the board fell. It just kind of happened that way. But there's always going to be three or four guys that are sitting there at 32 that you're like, wow, I thought that guy'd be gone by 23. And that's just the nature of this thing. So, like, I think, you know, Nicobe Dean's an interesting guy, a linebacker out of Georgia, you know, I think could really bolster that linebacking corps. Devin Lloyd's probably gone by that point. I think he's, I think he's out the door, but if he's not, he's really interesting. Um, if they, if they don't go with an edge rusher, if they, if they do bypass that with the number two overall pick, then maybe you go there. You know, I, now look, Jermaine Johnson's probably gone at that point. Thibodeau, of course, is long gone. Maybe a guy, like I mentioned earlier, like a boy, Amafe is there. Uh, the kid out of Purdue, um, you know, maybe he's there. Um, I, I think I think if you're the Lions, at that point, you know, it's it's cliche to say the best player available because I think teams say that all the time. They very rarely take the absolute top guy on their board. But I think if, if you're Detroit, then maybe it's a corner. Maybe at that point it's a corner. Maybe at that juncture you're looking at it. Maybe it's maybe it's Dax Hill out of out of Michigan, another kid out of Michigan who you look at and say, okay, he'd fit, right? He can play slot corner. He can play safety. Um, and then offensively, I don't think they need to go receiver. I actually don't think they need to do that early. They have other more pressing needs. Um, but I would I would look for them to continue to build defensively um, and, and make this team a, a tough physical team, which is obviously the way Campbell wants to go. And, and I think there are guys in this draft that fit that profile. Boy, Matt's really loading up the Lions roster with Michigan guys. I think we're going to go for Shea Patterson next pretty soon. So, <laughs> oh, it's not yeah. going nuts. The one thing I thought was interesting, I don't – you know, I, I, I look at the mock drafts just like anybody else and, you know, take them with a grain of salt you know our own guy David Ted has like 15 mock drafts every year so um but the one that caught my eye was a little bit interesting was Peter King released his I think his only mock draft yep and he had the Lions trading out of 32 um which is interesting Peter King normally he's a he's one of the most hooked in dudes as far as talking to people and you know what's going to happen and whatever it is um, I mean, he picked, he picked the Rams to win the Super Bowl. He picked Stafford to be the MVP, which he probably should have been, uh, of the Super Bowl. Um, you know, it just, he, he seems to know stuff that other people don't probably because the people who are willing to talk to him. So I just wonder that that might be, if they don't go with the quarterback, I mean, the prevailing thought is load up on the picks for next year when the supposed the draft class is going to be better for quarterbacks and you go get your guy that year. But is there anything really wrong with taking, and maybe they trade up. Maybe, maybe if Malik is there for some reason in tw- at twelve or whatever it is, or t- thirteen, you know, or right. or even pick it, you know, drafting one of those guys and waiting because everybody knows, you know, letting them develop. I mean, is that really the worst thing? I mean, Mahomes had to wait behind, you know, uh, Smith for a little bit. You know, I mean, is that the worst thing? Because we know Jared Goff is not the answer. He's just a placeholder for another this year, maybe next year. Yep. Of course. Like Dave Burkett was on the show recently. We were talking about this and we said, yeah, 
And the minute that Jared Goff throws his first interception, everybody's going to be screaming from a league wall as they get into the game or whatever. But there's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, these guys need a little bit of time to develop now. Yeah. Uh, well, look, and you're right, right? That's the way fandom is. If Jared Goff plays in the preseason and throws a ball that's perfectly, perfectly on the button to TJ Hawkinson, and Hawkinson it hits his face mask and gets picked off, everybody and their mother will be screaming to get rid of him. That's, that's the way. That, I remember... So even though I covered the league nationally, I came up actually covering the Chiefs for for SB Nation and for Fansided. And I remember that the first year Mahomes was a starter, the anointed starter, training camp, he threw a million interceptions. A million. If you go back and look, like to the point that I, be- I believe was ESPN had like a counter of how many he was throwing. And somebody wrote a piece like, I'll tell you what, Case Keenum in Denver, he hasn't thrown one yet. And like well, Mahomes is throwing twelve or like whatever it was. It was some asinine number. And then he went out and threw fifty touchdowns and five thousand yards. It was MVP of the league. And the point is, I think you know, if you're the Lions, you have to have that plan and just have the courage of your conviction to go. Look, we don't care. This is what we're doing now. Keep in mind, John Dorsey is in Detroit. Now, he's not. He's not the chief decision maker. Obviously, Brad Holmes is. But John Dorsey has a big say in that room. He's an important figure. I would contend that nobody, nobody in the last decade drafted better than John Dorsey. He he built that Chiefs team. Now, Brett Veach put the finishing touches on it, but Dorsey was there building it and then put a ton of talent on Cleveland before he left. Dorsey saw that Mahomes thing through. I mean, he, look, Veach scouted him and gets all the credit, and, and Brett Veach certainly deserves a lot of it, but John Dorsey pulled the trigger on it, and he he was not afraid to have Mahomes sit for a year behind Alex Smith. I think you're going to see, or at least you could see something similar with this, where Dorsey might be in that room going, guys, look, I've seen it happen. It works. It's fine. Like, if we have to, we'll play Jared Goff for a year. And if we draft a Malik Willis or whoever it may be, sits behind him, maybe it's maybe it's Matt Corral late in the first round. Maybe it's Desmond Ritter. Fine. Sit him for a year. Who cares? And if we go 4-13 and or 5-12 and or 6-11, and have another high pick next year, Build up more. I mean, we just saw it now. Different situation, but Trey Lance just sat for a year. Now mm-hmm. he's going to get his shot. Um, we certainly live in a day and age where there's a lot less patience for these for co- for coaches for co- which I think really is the real reason, right? Like I, I'm 33. I started watching football in the 90s. If you hired a coach, that guy got three years. You could basically go winless the first two years. You could Richie co-tight it, and you were still going to get three years. Now. You have, if you have a really bad first year, you have three and 14, like there's real, like, is that person gone? Is that person going to stay? And I think that leads to the whole, we got to play this guy now. Like, God bless if, if Carolina drafts a quarterback, God bless him because it, that kid's playing day one. Cause yeah. Matt Rule's looking up at the owner's box going, all right, got to win, got to win right now. With Detroit, you have the luxury if you don't have to win this year. And I think that makes actually for a really good situation for a guy like Malik Wells. So you're saying that Dorsey is, Dorsey is either going to draft Mahomes or Baker, right? One of the two. So <laughs> yeah, could go either way. 50% hit rate. You know what though? Take, I take Baker. I'll take Baker. I'll take, I'll take competitiveness and promise and something, you know, winning a, winning a playoff game in Detroit, just that alone, right. that, that right there, we're throwing parades in, in, in downtown Detroit for that. Well, I mean, Look, Baker had a terrible year last year. No one would argue that. He also played hurt the entire season. And I am, in full transparency, I am not a big Baker Mayfield guy. I think he's a guy. But Jimmy Garoppolo is a guy, and he was seven minutes from winning the Super Bowl. right? Like, look at Baker Mayfield in Green Bay on Christmas last year. He was awful. 
he was awful in that game. And you say, okay, well, that's why you can't take him, right? Like he throws a million picks and you throw him out of the game. I also look back at the year prior to that. He played really well. They won a playoff game. They went to Arrowhead and they gave Kansas City a game into the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Now, part of that, Mahomes got hurt fine, but he still played well enough they were in the game. I, I do think, though, that it matters that Dorsey was in Kansas City and was a decision maker at the time and saw that. It was a big part of making that decision and working with Alex Smith to say, look, we're going to take this kid and you're going to be the guy for this next year. And then we will help you to find a good situation. Um, and look, they got in the Washington, which isn't a great situation. But you got paid, you got a huge contract out of it. I, I, I would not be shocked if the Lions, maybe not even with two, but with 32, went a similar route. You know, and I think one of the things, sorry, Sean, to, to hog the time, but but no, one of the things that, that you know, obviously with the Lions, with Stafford, they've just, they haven't picked a quarterback in so long, you know, but to me, it's almost like there's so much pressure to, this guy has to be the Messiah. If we're picking in the first round, right. forget about two, just anywhere, you know, 32, whatever, he's got to be the Messiah. He's got to be the guy, you know, and I think a lot of teams don't find the guy. They draft somebody, you draft Baker and all right. He was good, but maybe not good enough. So we've learned something. Let's not, you know, we don't, we don't pick up his option. We let him go. We go a different route. You can't be scared of looking for the quarterback, you know? And I think what's the Stafford thing kind of, the Lions went through a weird thing and I don't know how much ownership was complicit in this, but just like, he's the Messiah. He's the guy, he's the one piece we cannot change. You know, they were so locked into that thinking and I hope they're not locked into that thinking and it lets them, Hey, if we go with Matt Corral with their at 32, whatever. Right. And after a couple of years, he's not the guy we move on and we try to find somebody else and, and you know, quarterback, you know, controversy be damned. We're, we're going to keep looking for the guy if he's not it. I mean, really the whole league changed in the draft when the rookie wage scale came in, you know, before that, yeah. you, you know, we all know, look, you, like Joey Harrington, not to give everybody PTSD even further in Detroit, but like <laughs> you take somebody like that, you're paying them a fortune, right? The second he's yeah. drafted, he's right. getting paid a fortune. One of the highest paid players in the team. It changed. I think 2011 was the year that the first year was implemented where now if you draft a guy, I don't care how high he's drafted and it's not working out after two, three years, you look at what the Cardinals did with Josh Rosen. One right. year, Cardinals are like we're good. Get out, second round pick. Thank you very much. <laughs> right, I. You can do that now. They're not, now. The, the of course, the, as a fan, I think you should always advocate for. Hey, take your shot. Take your shot. You never know what's going to happen. The flip side of that is, if you're the GM and you're the coach, you may get one shot, and you better right. be right. And and everybody's losing their job if they're not right. Unless you're Matt Millen, in which case you can you can take six or seven shots. <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. Uh, yeah, it might forever be too soon up in Detroit. But, I, you know, I think it's I, – I do think there's truth to that. Like, in this day and age with the way the rookie wage scale is and the way everything's set up the cap, like, especially at 32, like, like I look at it like – I think Kobe Dean's going to be a good linebacker. I think he would fit with Detroit. That being said, who's got a better chance of impacting your franchise in a way that's going to really matter? a linebacker, any of them, pick your guy, or any of these quarterbacks. Like, if you end up hitting – and look, anybody who thinks they know what these kids are going to be, they don't know. None of us do. Okay, we've been talking a little bit about the Mahomes thing. I remember when he got picked 10th, there were people who were like, that is an F. That is a god-awful pick. He should be in the second round. I think it's worked out okay. 
There were other people who thought Mitchell Trubisky, like, of course, you clearly. There were people who thought Deshaun Kaiser should have been the first quarterback off the board in that draft. Yep. Yep. You don't know. You never know what the, you don't know what these kids are like behind closed doors, how hard they work, how willing they're, and a lot of it too. Where do you go? How much do you mesh with the coach, the coordinators? I mean, how different is Mahomes' career if Jacksonville takes him instead of Fournette? How different mm-hmm. is he? It's probably pretty damn different. But he went, he went to Andy Reid and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, and it worked. And I think with the Lions, I actually think it's a pretty good spot for a quarterback. You've got a good offensive line. You've got St. Brown. You've got Hawkinson. Like they've, I, I think they've got a good coaching staff. I think the coordinators are really strong. And Campbell, I thought, showed promise last year. Like You can do a lot worse as a quarterback then going to play behind a good line with a couple of really good weapons, you, that's okay. There, there are guys – I mean, you're not going into a Trevor Lawrence situation last year, right? So, I don't think it's bad. I think it's actually pretty good in Detroit for that kind of thing. Oh, wow. But, Matt, the other thing, too, with the quarterbacks, and you, you know this better than I do, but uh, what you can't know, what you can't test, is can you process information and can you do it quickly? Can you, re- can you relax in the middle of the chaos? And that leap from college to pros, that, that, and it's true for a lot of other positions too, right? And, and I guess this leads to my last question here because I'm really grateful you, you've taken all this time with us. But how much of the draft is just luck? And I know it's, you know, a lot of us don't want to say that. You, you, you do what you do for a living. We do our stuff, GMs, coaches, scouts. Obviously, that's important to a degree. But how often are the best players coming out? And we have no idea who they are. Mahomes is obviously a great example that Brady's the best, but. But it happens every single year. Half the draft, you don't know, right? I think so much of it is – a lot of it is luck, okay? But a lot of it also, and I think the biggest part of it, is just fit. And it's – a lot of it is like, do you go to the right spot? Do you go to a place that they can utilize your talents, they can maximize your talent? So many places can't do that. They don't know how to do it. They they try to, you know, some coaches will try to fit you into their system no matter what. And other coaches will say, you know what, this player has a unique talent and we're going to find a way to build our system around that. So many of these teams try to just jam their system down every player's throat and just say, this is what you're going to do. And if you don't fit that, well, then that's on you. Where the best coaches say, hey, you bring this to the table, we will figure it out. Look at Belichick, how many times they've changed the way they play. I mean, those first three Super Bowls, they were a defensive team that ran the ball. Brady threw the ball in third and six and converted some and were good. Then they went and went undefeated, and they were throwing the ball over the place with Moss and with Welker because Brady got older. He got better. Then, And as time went on, they went to two tight end sets, right? That revolutionized football for a few years. You had Aaron Hernandez and Gronk, and, and everybody was going out and trying to get two tight end sets. Well, they built it because they had two really good tight ends. I think for you know for a team like the Lions, the benefit of this is you can kind of mold this team however you want. I think Campbell, it's pretty clear, wants to be physical, right? The whole biting kneecaps line that'll never die. But in the end, too, there is a there is a, a thought, at least I think, like in this draft, you know, to to Sean, your point, like you have to go out and get guys, yes, who think you think will fit what you do, but in the end, how much of it is how healthy do these guys stay? And are they going to the right scheme? And are they going to the right system? You know, how many guys have got, especially quarterbacks, have gone to a team and they've had Alex Smith is a perfect example. He had seven different coordinators in seven years. Like, you have no chance. You have no chance. The second he got stability, he went to the Pro Bowl, right? And they were going to the playoffs every year in San Francisco and in Kansas City. 
you know, I, I think sometimes it just takes finding that right fit. And then also, yeah, you look, you got to stay healthy. You got to have guys who are willing to work. How much does getting money change a guy? Some guys, look, they, you know, they'll tell you flat out, I, I don't love football, but it was a way for me to support my family, to, to, help, to help my family that I grew up with. Some people say, look, I play football in the parking lot. I don't care. I just want to play. And either reason can be all right as long as that player is willing to work and, and continue to grow. But I do think a lot of it is just you got to get a little lucky. You got to find the right fit. And then, yeah, you got to find the rare air guy who's really talented, who's also really willing to work. Well, Matt, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time. I think you're really excited. Lions fans here are talking about Dorsey and the drafting. And they're about to have the best tenure stretch uh, to make up for the last 60 years. It's it's going to be it's, it's going to be a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, uh, good luck this week with the draft. I hope you get at least a little bit of sleep. Um, and uh, thanks again for taking the time with us today. Hey, thanks. No problem, guys. Really appreciate you having me on. All right. You can find Matt. You can, yeah, sorry, Carlos. You can find Matt Stuff at Fansided. He's the, the national NFL reporter and a senior editor there. And uh, look for his stuff, especially the, the, the next uh, three or four days as we get in here to the draft. We will be right back with uh, more free press sports with Carlos and Sean. My name is Kerry Jr. The second. I'm a podcast producer and reporter with the Detroit Free Press. And now the host of Freep's new weekly podcast, On the Line. Our job is to understand the issues and the people that the issues affect in our state and region and tell the news. I want Detroiters, I want Michiganders, I want Metro Detroiters to hear themselves and maybe get a sense of peace in this podcast. Maybe not in the topics we're covering, but in the sense that we're the Detroit Free Press. And you can come here to know what's happening and trust that we're going to tell the truth, give you the facts and do it authentically. We're going to give you the voices that are in those areas, whether it be in Owasso, whether it be in Petoskey, whether it be in Birmingham, Warren, Gross Point, Southwest Detroit. You know, we're going to give you what it sounds like to be there. So every Friday in your feed, wherever you get your podcast, when you press play, we want this podcast to sound like home. We want it to sound like Michigan. We want it to sound like Detroit. I think that's all I got. So let the journey begin. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, our producer, Andrew Hammond, just uh, not signed off, but he's stepping out of the way here as we rejoin y'all uh, or after that, that that break. And he said uh, he wanted to let us make the magic. What What is he talking about? Magic? I think more Magic Johnson. I think that's what he wants. You, you think so? Is that it? Yeah. You yeah. make the magic with the favorite thing. So uh, what is your favorite thing? <laughs> My favorite thing was this last uh, week um, uh, I think I've mentioned my kids a lot lately and I, I don't tend to do that. Um, but you know, no, I'm going to have to put the kibosh on it. What else is your favorite thing? You love your kids. We all love your kids. You don't get a medal for that or a cookie. No, Although, it's, I'll it's, make you cookies if you want. It's related to, to my kids. Um, but also my community. Cause, um, one of my daughters has been involved. They both what's your involved community? What, 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 what's your community? In gross, Apple, point. In gross point. Oh, I thought you were talking about like Applebee's. No, 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 no. That, that's you, Sean. You're, you're a man of the people. I just, uh, I'm a McDonald's guy. Um, I'm a filet of fish guy. Yeah, really? me, me too. They do that well. Um, do. What was I saying? Did I say? Oh yeah, yeah. You? The, the <laughs> I'm, I'm hungry now. Um, yeah, no. So, so our, the high school they go to, uh, Gross Point South. They're known for nah, a lot of. They're really good at a lot of things. But they're really known for show choir and baseball. Those are the the things that they're consistently really good at for some reason. And so my kids have been involved uh, in their uh, 
you know, productions, musical theater, that kind of stuff over the years. And they're seniors. So they put on their big uh, musical every year. They do a musical. And this year it was Into the Woods, the Stephen Sondheim musical from the, from the 80s. It's been turned into a movie and different things. And it's a really, um, it was a very poignant um, production for me, not only because it was the last time my kids are going to be in it and part of it, but the whole show, if you haven't seen it, it's about uh, venturing into the world and dealing with the realities of life and whether you're alone or when you're left alone, you know, or how you come together with other people and how you find your way forward. Um, and I just told myself, you know, I got choked up at various points thinking about how it relates. Um, there's a whole thing about children won't listen and all these different things. And I just told myself, you know, even if my kids are going to be done with school here, I'm going to promise myself to come back and still come to these events for the community because they do just such a wonderful job. And we talk about sports all the time. Obviously, the show is a lot about sports, but you always have to, I've learned to appreciate, uh, I had no background in, in theater or musicals, but I've really learned to appreciate the dedication, the hard work, the, the struggle sometimes um, of what it's like. And it's a lot, it's not too much different from coaching, Sean, from, from going through tough coaches and, and having, you know, the dedication and, and the fortitude to get through difficulty, you know, and uh, getting there's benchings and there's promotions and there's all these different things, success stories and failures. And it, it teaches you a lot about teamwork and how to deal with uh, adversity. So I really, really learned a lot from my kids' experiences, and um, I'm, I'm really going to miss it. So that was my favorite thing this week. Well, that's uh, that's lovely, Carlos. Thank you, Sean. I'm uh, I'm moved. You know, now how are you going to rip it off? You like you like movies too. You're going to say something like no, that. No, no, no. Like <laughs> no, no, no. My favorite thing is uh, I've been kind of on a cooking run, uh, cooking jag. You know, I don't know. I've Ooh. been uh, I've been cooking a little bit lately. Um, I get I get like this sometimes for various reasons and um in any case uh you know the the food's been okay if i you know it's been all right i don't i don't want to necessarily what have you made what's your what's your what's your big success story what have you made what have you made? well i don't know that i would call it a success story so this is this is what i love though so i i, I made uh uh some lemongrass I, I marinated some some chicken thighs and lemongrass and fish sauce and a bunch of other stuff that the, and grilled it that was good i grilled some that same night i grilled some broccoli and made a uh an aioli which is like a, a mayonnaise it was a big sort of thing in the 90s but you were so fancy oh my god no 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 i made this aioli and brushed it on at the grilled broccoli and i made these breadcrumbs with the little anchovies that i sauteed and chopped up and crisped up and so forth <laughs> and that and, and that's sort of a scandinavian kind of theme it was a long involved recipe it was good uh, I smoked some ribs the next day and, uh, and we made potato salad. That was simple, but delicious. And then, um, I made a pot roast and partly because I'm making this for some friends who've got some family who are, you know, have some health issues and I like to do that. Um, you know, people need food. I like to cook. So I, I made a couple of pot roasts. My favorite thing though, is Carl's is one of the nights I made this, um, Korean chicken, a grilled korean chicken and you served it with some rice and use uh, some lettuce as a vehicle and make a little sauce make a korean chili paste actually but th but the thing i loved about that was that i learned i love going to the asian markets and looking around and getting help and talking to people i i found some new and 
I didn't find them, but I used some different ingredients. It's a, a soybean paste. There was a Korean corn syrup of all things that went into the marinade. Um, a, a chili paste called guajajang, or I'm mispronouncing it, I'm sure, but I've used that before, but a variety of that and some chili flakes, Korean chili flakes. I'm familiar with most of it, but I just, I found some new stuff and it's just, I love using and learning about new ingredients and trying new things. And, um, and the Korean chicken stuff was the, the wraps were great, actually very simple. So anyway, I just love the experience of learning and, and reading and then having it turn out, you know, reasonably. How about that? I love that, Sean. This is, this is to our listeners. If you one day become a big time columnist like Sean Windsor, and you just write once, maybe twice a week. You can spend the rest of the week cooking. I love it, man. All that free time. Andrew, this is something for you and I to shoot for, okay? Well, I would say, Carlos, lay off the golf, lay off the uh, television, lay off the movies, you know, or whatever it is you do all day long. And um, just Donkey Kong all day. And you'll, and you'll have time to cook. The key is, the key is, there's certain things like with the, with the lemongrass, which is sort of, a, that was kind of a Thai style thing. It takes 20 minutes to make a marinade. And then you put it in, and then the next day you grill it, and that takes 20, 25 minutes. So it's 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 time in terms of uh, the length of time to get flavor into something. You know, the same with the pot roast, start to finish in six or seven hours, but it's not six or seven hours of continuous work. So you can you can get something in the oven, and then you write or you can clean the bathroom as you do or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wait, wait, wait. Why why do you write, but I have to clean the bathroom? What's what are you saying? No, no, no. I mean, because you're you're a man of the uh, you're a man of the times. You do chores, right? Uh, my wife would disagree, probably. But yeah, I try. You, everybody. By the way, this is one of the truisms of life. Everybody thinks they do sixty percent of the housework. No, I I don't know. I'm not sure what the percentage here would be. I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's divided. I mean, it's probably split fairly evenly, but some of it's so it just depends, right? I mean. If you think it's 50-50, then I guarantee you your wife's doing 80%. No, I mean, because there's a lot of other stuff. There's there's errands to run. There's, uh, you know. That doesn't count. Sure it does. Sitting down and it doing, should. doing it should money stuff. Like, she doesn't like doing money stuff, you know. and um, Right, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's tedious, you know. Yeah, exactly. Or, or it can be. So, But you can't yeah. see it. You can't see the results of, of doing the bills. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, you can't. Have, you can see the results of not doing them. Yeah, for sure. You know, but in any case, all right. With enough of this, enough of this uh, silly talk. Listen, Carlos. Once again, it was a pleasure. It was fun having a couple of guests today. By the way, uh, listener, uh, that is Carlos Menares, <laughs> columnist for the Free Press, uh, occasional takeout writer, bon vivant Renaissance man who uh, loves fillet of fish. What else could you ask for? Onion rings. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Why does the McDonald's do onion rings? It's like the only. Well, I guess. They do Wendy's. fries. They they perfected the uh, fast food fry, right? What else overrated? Do they do? Overrated. Oh, you would say that's overrated. like saying In and Out's got oh, In and Out's overrated. Come on, man. No, it's not. Yeah, we've we've discussed this before. Look, man, we've we've gone on way too long. People don't want to hear from us. <laughs> Anjanette's angry. She's pressing the the wait, fire button right now. Wait, who's Anjanette again? Anjanette Delgado, Queen of the World. I'm sorry, what Executive Queen of the World? Okay, Executive Queen of the World. All right. Well, listen, Carlos, it's been a pleasure. Um, let us thank Mr. Andrew Hammond, the producer who makes this possible, who uh, I guess is a fan of Applebee's. That's cool. You can get the two. <laughs> you can go get five appetizers for like $1.75 during a happy hour. That's great. You know what I mean? Uh, 
Uh, we want to thank Anjanette Delgado. Uh, I'm glad she was mentioned a few times before this. That's that's good. That helps us. I heard some. I heard some of some low key complaining last week. She didn't get mentioned enough. Oh, so. okay. Executive editor and executive uh, producer of this podcast. We want to thank Kirkland Crawford, the sports editor, also a, an executive producer of this podcast. We want to thank Peter Badia, Batia, excuse me, the editor of the Free Press, and uh, we want to thank you for giving us your time this week and uh, and every week. If you like the uh, podcast, you know, give us a give us a rating, give us a shout, give us a criticism, give us something. You can find us wherever you find your favorite podcast at Spotify, Apple. Uh, I don't know. Carlos is trying to start his own company, probably his own platform. Elon Musk, like, right? I'm launching Carlos Twitter soon. Okay, Carlos Twitter. Yeah, and you'll be able to find our our podcast there too. Whenever that happens, we'll keep you we'll keep you posted on that. In any case, once again, thanks for listening. We will talk to you all next week.